Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Acts. Let's read beginning at Acts 15, verse 36. And we will read through chapter 16, verse 15. The text for this morning's sermon will be Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. Acts chapter 15, beginning at verse 36. And some days after, that is, after Paul and Barnabas had returned to Antioch from the Jerusalem council and had spent time in Antioch teaching and preaching, and some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple who was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily." Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a river side where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. We end our scripture reading at that point. 
The text for this morning's sermon will be verses 6-10. through Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. The occasion for this morning's sermon is the intense struggle that I experienced over the last several weeks in seeking to know the Lord's will regarding the calls that were extended to me. Whether it was the Lord's will for me to remain here as the pastor of this congregation, or whether it was the Lord's will for me to take up the work of a pastor in a different congregation. Every time I receive one of these calls, it's always difficult. But this past time was the most difficult of all. As I indicated in my answer letter, the call to Hosanna PRC weighed especially heavily on my mind. So that for the past month or so, I really did not know where the Lord was leading me. And due to the difficulty, I sought guidance from really every source that I could. That included talking with a number of my colleagues in the ministry and trusted friends, relaying to them the different factors that I was considering, asking their input. This involved reading really every article I could find from a reform perspective about determining how to answer a call. But it also included going to Scripture to seek guidance, to seek principles that would help direct me, help give me clear guidance one way or the other. And one of the passages that stood out to me was this one. Because in this particular passage, you have a preacher being directed by the Lord to preach the Gospel in a particular place. First trying to go one way, then trying to go a different way, but in the end being led to a specific place to preach the Gospel. And I found in this passage some guidance for myself, but I also found in it a passage that would be appropriate to preach on this occasion, especially if the Lord had led me to accept One of those calls, I thought this would be a fitting passage for the congregation. And so I had picked it before I knew the answer. The purpose of putting this in the bulletin was not to scare you, but simply to give you the information of the sermon that was coming either way. That's the occasion for the sermon, but in saying all that, that does not mean the application is only for me. 
this Word of God comes to all of us. Because the main thing here is not God directing one preacher, but the main thing here is Christ's work to direct the spread of the Gospel for the sake of the gathering of His elect. We see in this passage, Christ sitting upon His throne, ruling over His church. A word that we all need. But then even if we do look at Paul as an individual, we can look at him not just as a preacher, but as one of God's children who's being led down a, a certain path so that we're reminded of God's own leading and guiding of our lives with all the, the twists, with all the turns, so that we arrive not at a particular city, that is, not at a particular earthly city, but we arrive at the heavenly city. The new Jerusalem, where God is leading each one of His elect people. And so with those things in mind, let's consider this morning Acts chapter 16, verses 6-10, through 10, using as our theme, Christ's directing of Paul's preaching. First, we'll look at the leading of missionaries to Macedonia. Second, we'll look at the spreading of the Gospel to the elect. And then third, the directing of our lives to heaven. Christ's direction, directing of Paul's preaching, the leading of the missionaries to Macedonia, the spreading of the Gospel to the elect, and the leading of our lives to heaven. When reading this history, I cannot but wonder how frustrated Paul must have been when he came down into Troas. Because remember, even the great missionary and theologian Paul had a sinful nature. He knew what it was to battle against sin. And so I wonder, was he at his wit's end at this point? Was he battling a sinful frustration with the will of God at this time? Because after all, he was trying to do what he was supposed to do. God had designated him to be a missionary to bring the Gospel to those who had never heard it. And he was trying to be faithful to that calling. Trying to spread the Gospel to new places. But yet... He kept running into these roadblocks. He kept trying to go a particular direction only to be cut off. That was his experience on his second missionary journey. For that is indeed the broader context in which this particular passage is found. The preceding verses that we read beginning going back into chapter 15 tell us that Paul and Silas had set out as missionaries and their initial objective was to bring the gospel or to revisit the churches that were established on their first missionary journey. And that comes out from different verses that we read. For example, in chapter 15, verse 41, we read, and he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches that his churches already established. We see this in chapter 16, verse 1. Then came he to Derby and Lystra. And we remember those were cities he visited on his first missionary journey. And then chapter 16, verse 5. 
so were the churches established in the faith and increased in the number. Again, indicating that at first the work was to go back and to confirm the churches that had already been established. So that when we take these verses together, we can understand Paul's route, as it were, so that if you picture the Mediterranean Sea kind of wrapped around this pulpit, Paul would have begun his journey in Antioch, many miles north of Jerusalem. They set out from Antioch. They would have headed north and then wrapped around the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea and headed west to visit churches such as Derby and Lystra and Iconium. They went there to see how they were doing. But then having completed that aspect of the work, their next objective was to take the Gospel to those who had never heard it before. But the problem was that every time they tried to go to a new place, they ran into some sort of roadblock. For evidently, they first tried to go due west to what was Asia at that time, which would be the the western edge of modern-day Turkey. We read of that in verse 6, for example. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, that part of verse 6 I take as a reference to the fact that they had completed visiting the churches that were already established, The next part of the verse we read, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And clearly implied is that they tried to head directly west into the region that was known as Asia in that day, but we're told the Spirit, they were forbidden. They were literally cut off. There was some roadblock in their way that prevented them, that hindered them from going there. So because they were unable to go directly west, they evidently traveled on a more northwesterly trajectory to the region of Mysia up in the corner there. Verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, and from there we learn that they tried to go straight north to the region of Bithynia, which would be that region on the northern region of the northern area of modern day Turkey, bordering the the Black Sea up above. They tried to go there, but again, it did not work. Verse 7 reads, After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. That is, they tried, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. That is, the Spirit did not permit them. He did not allow them so that once again, they try going one direction and then another, but both times... They are prevented. And now we do not know how exactly the Spirit prevented them. Both verses speak of the Spirit in this regard. Verse 6, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia. Verse 7 says, but the Spirit suffered them not. Perhaps the Spirit did this by giving them some sort of direct revelation, some vision. But more likely, the Spirit did this through providential circumstances. Somehow, some way, 
putting a roadblock in front of them. And I say that's more likely because of the contrast between what we have in verses 6 and 7 and the vision in verse 9. We will learn about a vision that Paul receives, but because there's no mention of a vision here, I understand this to be providential circumstances, things that made it impossible for them to go in either of those directions. But either way, the Spirit made it crystal clear. Paul, not Asia. Paul, not Bithynia. That is not where I would have you to labor. So again, I can only imagine how difficult this was for the Apostle Paul. I'm trying to do the work You gave me. What do You want me to do, Lord? Where am I supposed to go? Well, in the end, God gave him clear direction and led him to Macedonia. And He did that by giving to Paul the Macedonian vision in verse 9. Verse 8 reads, And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. So Paul receives this vision in Troas in the very northwesternly quarter of modern-day Turkey. We read in verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Paul received a vision in the night, which is interesting because a vision indicates he was awake for this. It does not say that he received a dream in the night. He was awake, but yet this vision came to him in the night. Perhaps indicating a certain amount of restlessness and the Apostle Paul an inability to sleep. Perhaps that's reading a little bit into the passage, but not too much given the struggle that Paul must have been feeling in regard, with regards to knowing God's will. In this vision, he, he sees a man from Macedonia. We do not know how the Apostle Paul recognized him as being from Macedonia, most likely because of his particular speech or maybe his clothing that he was wearing, but somehow, some way, Paul had no questions about where this man was from. He knew well his nationality. He was from Macedonia, which would be modern-day Greece, at least the eastern part of modern-day Greece. And this man had a message. Come over and help us. Come over, that is, Pass over from Asia into Europe. Pass over the Aegean Sea and come into this region and come over and help. Render assistance. Bring us aid, and not in the form of spirit, not in the form of financial assistance or physical help, but spiritual help. This is a plea that Paul would come and preach the gospel to them. Not just to one man, but to many. Come over and help us. It's plural there. There's many who are there who are to be gathered in by the preaching of the Gospel. That was the vision that Paul received. 
And now for the purposes of this morning's sermon, I'm not interested in wading into all of the questions about how best to interpret this vision and how it applies, for example, to missions and whether we need such a Macedonian call in order to go over to a particular place in order to do mission work. I leave all of that aside and instead want to focus on the main point. God is giving clear direction to the Apostle Paul. Somehow, some way, he had told Paul, not here, not there. And now, finally, he makes very clear, Paul, you need to cross the Aegean Sea. You need to go into Europe, specifically to the region of Macedonia, and you need to preach the Gospel there. So that in this way, he was directing his missionaries to where they were supposed to go. They were supposed to end up in places like Philippi and Thessalonica. And this was God's plan all along. Before Paul ever left Antioch, before he tried to go into Asia, before he tried to go into Bithynia, all along the plan was he's going to end up in Europe. And all along the way, Paul was being led to where he needed to go. And it's so important for us to see this morning that really the one directing the Apostle Paul is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is His work. And that comes out from the fact that this was a vision. This was not a, a physical, literal man from Macedonia who perhaps was in Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost who had heard about the Gospel and now finds the Apostle Paul in Troas and says, come over and help us. But this is a vision. And if we ask who gave him that vision, the answer is the Lord, Jesus Christ. And Paul himself understood that. Paul himself recognized that. Verse 10, And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the Gospel unto them. This was the Lord's calling of the Apostle Paul. This is Christ directing him where he was to go. But that applies not only to the positive directing of Paul to Macedonia, but even the negative of Paul not here, not there. That too was Christ's work. Because in both verses 6 and 7, we read of the Spirit forbidding Paul and the Spirit not suffering. And if we ask, who is the Spirit? We recognize it's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And that comes out from the broader context of the entire book of Acts. For the book of Acts is not really about the acts of the apostles, but this book is about the acts of Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord. For how does the book begin? With Jesus Christ ascending up into heaven. Sitting down at God's right hand becoming ruler of heaven and earth. And then what do we read next in the book of Acts? Well, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That is, Christ sending His Spirit upon the church and thereby equipping the church for the work, for the calling that Christ had given to the church so that everything that we read 
throughout the rest of the book, the book of Acts is really the work of Jesus Christ through His Spirit. And that applies to this passage. This is Christ directing the Apostle Paul, both negatively and positively. Not here, not there, Paul, but instead go to Macedonia. It was Christ doing this. And I trust as a congregation, you recognize He has every right to do this. Because of His position as ruler over all, and He was given that position because of His own obedience to the will of our Heavenly Father. And we can think about that obedience in light of this passage before us. For the Apostle Paul, he really did not know where he was supposed to go. So that when he tries going one way and then tries going another way, it's not as though he's being disobedient to the Lord. It's not as though the Lord had told him all along, you need to go to Macedonia. But he refused to do it. This is not an example of Jonah being given explicit direction where to go, but failing to go there. Paul really did not know, but in the end, he was led to a very specific place that was God's plan all along. Well, for Christ, it was different because he knew where he was supposed to go all along. He knew that the path marked out for him was the path that led to Calvary. To the cross. And thus he steadfastly set his face to go there. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And he did not turn aside in spite of The devil making every effort to make him turn aside. Again, the Apostle Paul, he he turns west and then he heads north, not in disobedience, but because he really did not know where he was supposed to go. But in those cases, it's Paul trying to go one way and then Paul trying to go another way. Well, for Christ, it's not that he was trying to disobey, trying to go a different way, but instead it was the devil trying to get him to depart from the right path. And the devil did this all throughout his life. The devil did this in those temptations when he came to Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Those temptations were designed to make Jesus Christ depart from the the path of suffering, the path that led to the cross. But Jesus Christ said no. And then the devil did this again. For example, when Simon Peter, after hearing Jesus Christ saying, I must go to Jerusalem and die there at the hands of the Gentiles, Peter rebuked the Lord. He said to him, not so, my Lord. To which Jesus responded by rebuking Simon Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. 
He spoke those words to Simon Peter because in the words of Simon Peter, there was a temptation coming from the devil. Saying to Jesus Christ, do not go to Jerusalem. Avoid the cross. But Jesus would not be turned aside. And even when He was hanging there upon the cross, the devil tried one last time through those who came with their mocking voices saying, if thou beest the Son of God, save thyself, come down. And in that, the devil was saying, this is your last chance to avoid the agonies, the torments of hell. You can say no to the cup of God's wrath. But Jesus remained hanging there. And that's the good news of the Gospel. That all along He knew He must go to Calvary. And though the devil tried hard to make Him go one way or the other, Jesus Christ did indeed go. He went to the cross where He paid the debt for our sins. Where He fulfilled all righteousness to accomplish our salvation. He was perfectly obedient to the will of our Father. And now as the due reward for His obedience, Jesus Christ has been given this position of ruler of heaven and earth as the King of His church seated at God's right hand. It's the teaching of Philippians chapter 2, for example. Philippians chapter 2 connects Christ's suffering to His exaltation. So that in Philippians 2, verse 7, for example, we read, "...and He made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore, says verse 9, that is, because He did all this, because He was first willing to suffer, because He was first willing to die, wherefore, God hath also highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. He was given this position because of His obedience to the will of the Father so that Christ is now ruler over all. Ruler over the wicked world, to be sure. He rules them by His power, but also the ruler of His church. He is the head. He is the King of His church. And therefore, He has the right to direct a set of missionaries to go to a particular place at a particular time. And He does that He did that with a view to the spread of the Gospel to His elect. That's Christ's purpose in this. The spreading of the Gospel to the elect. And that's really the broad significance of this history. When we step back, when we zoom out and ask what is going on here, the answer is Christ is 
governing the spread of the Gospel. Because as we said, this passage is not so much about an individual preacher. We'll make application in that respect, but that's not the main thing. The main thing here is Christ's work to govern the church and to have the Gospel progressively spread throughout the world. He indicated that that would be the work given to the church. This is what the book of Acts is really about, is seeing how the, the gospel was spread to the whole world. We're put on notice that that's what's in view in the book of Acts at the very beginning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, for example. Christ talking to His disciples, He said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And in this history, we see Christ leading them to be His witness to the uttermost part of the earth. So that what we have here is the running of the white horse. That's depicted for us in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. We read of a, a white horse being sent out, and we understand that that white horse, the, the running of that white horse is the, the spread of the gospel and the, the conquering of souls, the, the victory that Jesus Christ accomplishes through the preaching of the gospel. That's what's taking place here. Christ is directing that white horse and the running of that white horse for the sake of. His elect people. That's the explanation. For if we ask, why Macedonia? Why go there? Well, because in all of eternity, God chose certain individuals to be His elect people. He chose a Lydia, the seller of purple. He chose a jailer who would work in Philippi. And He chose so many others who would live in that specific region of the world at that specific time. And now, what Christ is doing is sending Paul there for the sake of His elect. Those elect people need to hear the Gospel. They need to be brought to saving faith. And Christ is sending these missionaries to Macedonia for the sake of the ingathering of these elect people, the calling of His elect out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And this is something Christ has been doing all throughout history. So that when we study church history, when we see the the spread of the Gospel first to this region and then to that part of the world, and then it goes over here, we need to see Christ's hand behind all that. We need to see Christ at work seeing to it that all those for whom He died are brought to saving faith in His love for His sheep. He was willing to come down into this world and to lay down His life for them. And now with that same love, He directs the spread of the Gospel 
so that those sheep are gathered into His fold, that is, into the church of Jesus Christ. And He's done that for us. So that in our generations, our forefathers heard the Gospel, were brought to saving faith, so that the Gospel is still preached in our midst still today. And knowing that is reason for humble thanksgiving that the Gospel has been preached to us so that we might be brought to faith. Because understand, there are many in the world who have not heard the Gospel. Or if they've heard some form of Christianity, it's not the truth of God's Word. And the reason God's Word has come to us and not to others is not because we were more worthy of receiving it. It's not because we made ourselves to differ in some way. But the explanation is God's sovereign good pleasure and the ingathering of His elect so that as those who have been given the Gospel, who hear the Gospel on a regular basis, the response should be humble thanksgiving. And in that, we're really summarizing what the Canons of Dort teaches us in Heads 3 and 4, Article 7. Heads 3 and 4, Article 7, on page 68 in this Psalter. It'll be somewhere around there in your Psalter speaks of the spread of the Gospel. The previous article talked about... I'll just go with Article 7. Article 7 begins this way, this mystery of His will, God discovered, that is, He revealed, to but a small number under the Old Testament, under the New, the distinction between various peoples having been removed, He reveals Himself to many without distinction of people. The cause of this dispensation is not to be ascribed to the superior worth of one nation above another, nor to their making a better use of the light of nature, but results wholly from the sovereign good pleasure and unmerited love of God. So that what the canons is saying there is the fact that the Gospels come to us is not because we are better than others, not because we were made ourselves to differ, but only because of God's sovereign good pleasure. But now it continues... By saying this, hence, they to whom so great and so gracious a blessing is communicated above their desert, rather, or rather, notwithstanding their demerits, that's you, Hope Protestant Reformed Church, are bound to acknowledge it with humble and grateful hearts. And with the Apostle Paul to adore, not curiously pry into the severity and justice of God's judgments displayed to others to whom this grace is not given. And this history in Acts chapter 16 illustrates this very truth. The Gospel was not to go to Asia. It was not to go to Bithynia. At least not yet. But instead, it was to go to others in Macedonia who did give humble 
and grateful, who did have hearts that were characterized with humility and thanksgiving. So the main thing that we see here in this history is Christ directing all things for the spread of the Gospel and the ingathering of His elect. But now that we have that main truth in front of us, we can descend into the particulars here and to the directing of one individual preacher. And here we do look at Paul as a preacher. We'll look at him as a simply as a child of God in the third point, but for now, Paul as a preacher. A part of Christ's work to direct the spread of the Gospel includes His work of directing individual preachers. That's what Christ is doing here. He's having Paul end up in a particular place at a particular time. And Christ did this with all of His preachers, with all of His missionaries. He did this with Barnabas. Let's not forget the history that was at the very beginning of our Scripture reading this morning and the fact that there was this dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Are we taking John Mark or are we not? And in the end, it was so sharp that they decided to part ways. But in light of everything we've said this morning, we need to see Christ was directing that too. Because now instead of one group of missionaries go out, going out, there are two different groups of missionaries going out. There's going to be the gospel going back to Cyprus and then the gospel going into to new lands. And Christ did this before. Christ directed Peter. Go preach to that Gentile Cornelius and to those who are in his household. He did this to Philip the evangelist. Go stand in the desert along the road so that the Gospel would come to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so it is today. Christ directs individual preachers. As the centurion Matthew chapter 8 recognized, he has the authority to do this. He has the authority to say to one, come, and he comes. And he has the authority to say to another, go, and he goes. Christ does that with individual preachers. Not by giving them direct revelation or some vision in the night, but by providential circumstances. And the Spirit's work in a man's heart. And he did that with your own minister. He did that with your minister when he graduated from seminary. At that time, there were three vacant churches in our denomination. One in Canada, one in West Michigan, and this congregation. And I believe I've been here long enough to say this without it hurting anyone's feelings. When I graduated from seminary, there was a part of me that wanted to stay in West Michigan so that there's a certain parallel to the text of wanting to go this direction. But the Lord put up a roadblock. I did not receive the call to that congregation in West Michigan. I received the other calls. And then the Lord worked at my heart in my heart 
to bring me here to this specific congregation at this specific time in her history so that it was the Lord's will that I would come to this part of the kingdom at such a time as this. That was Christ's work. And so too, it's Christ's work to keep a man in a place. In spite of the calls to help elsewhere. Because that is indeed Because those various calls that come from other churches are indeed exactly that. Calls to come over and help. Perhaps you did not know this, but every single call letter that is issued by a vacant church in our, congreg- in our denomination includes the words of Acts chapter 16, verse 9, Come over and help us. The words that the Apostle Paul heard in this vision are used by every single congregation when they extend a call to some minister. And what can make it so hard for a minister hearing that is that this is not just a vision. They are real people. Begging you, urging you, please come and help us. And that tugs on a man's heart. But though others have said, come, Christ has said, stay. And He did not tell that to me by some direct vision. And I can assure you, I wished very much so over the last several weeks that He would just communicate it that way. Give me Gideon's fleece or the Urim and the Thummim Give me some sign. He does not work that way. But He did work so that in the end, it was evident, I need to stay here. Christ directs individual preachers as a part of His work in directing the spread of the Gospel. But it's not just preachers. It's all of us. We can look at Paul as, an, as a, a minister of the Gospel, but we can also look at the Apostle Paul as an ordinary child of God. And when we look at Paul as an ordinary child of God, then we do see Christ directs our lives to bring us to the de- destination He has planned for us, namely, heaven itself. That's what we see That's a legitimate application of this history. Paul being directed by the Lord down life's pathway so that this history is an example of the truth set forth in Proverbs 16, verse 9. Proverbs 16, verse 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. The first half of the verse, a man's heart deviseth, that is, plans out his way. So that it's teaching, it's reminding us that each one of us is constantly making plans. We always have some idea of where we want to go, what we want to do, our intentions with regards to life. 
But all of that is subject to God's will, to God's way, because the second half of the proverb says, but the Lord directeth his steps. Though man makes plans, he has an idea of what he wants to do. God's the one who directs his, his actual footsteps, where he actually goes. All of his actions are under God's sovereign control. Paul's heart devised his way. I'm going to go to Asia. If not that, I'll go into Bithynia. But the Lord directed his steps to Macedonia. And he does that in all of our lives. Whether the plans are big or small, we're constantly thinking about what comes next. What am I going to do next? But God in His providence is the one who rules every aspect of our lives. Not just what happens to us, the circumstances of our lives, but what we actually do. And He does this according to His own plan. His decree for our lives for an eternity. He mapped out a certain path for each and every one of us. He has our whole life in view. And by His providence, by His sovereign hand, He's directing us down just the right path that He planned for us in eternity. And the key is to recognize it is the right path. Because it's the pathway that ends in heaven. For Paul, his pathway was meant to lead him to Macedonia. For God's children, the pathway leads us to the new Jerusalem. To the promised rest that awaits us. That's the destination. That's the end point. And every twist, every turn, every bump along the way is a part of God's perfect plan to bring us there. And it's knowing this that gives us reason to trust His leading and to submit ourselves to it. Did Paul get frustrated on his second missionary journey? Scripture does not tell us. But what about us? How often do we not get frustrated with God's will? We want to go one direction or we want to go another direction. And there's a roadblock. He cuts us off. And sadly, our default response according to our sinful nature is to become frustrated, to become angry, to want to shake our fist. What are you doing, God? But beloved, that ought not be. Because this is Christ's work. He's the one directing us down life's pathway. And knowing that His plan for us is the perfect plan. The path that the path that He has picked out for us is the path that ends in heaven. 
Instead, let us trust and submit ourselves to it. That starts with remembering that our plans are always subject to God's plans. So that we live according to the instruction in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away, for that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, I will go to Asia. If the Lord wills, I'll go into Bithynia or whatever it may be. That's to be our perspective. My plans are subject to God's plan. And may that be our mentality, especially when our plan does not align with His plan. And we wanted to go one direction and He made clear, no. That's not the path. And He sends us down a different path. He's not being cruel. It's not because He does not care about you. It's because He sees the big picture. He knows what He's doing. He knows how it all works out in the end and how it serves your good child of God. And so may God give us the grace to trust Him as He directs our lives down life's pathway. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the Gospel that has been proclaimed to us. We thank Thee that according to Thy sovereign good pleasure, Thou art pleased to send forth Thy Word into our midst. And we pray that Thou wilt use Thy Word to strengthen our faith and to give us trusting hearts so that as we walk down life's pathway, we do so with a submissive attitude, trusting Thy will is best. Forgive, Father, our sins. That be with us in this Sabbath day. Help us to keep it holy. And we pray that Thou wilt grant to us the rest that we stand in need of. We pray all these things for Christ's sake. Amen.